Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. So this episode is, is awesome, folks. I got to talk to Mike Fisher, the Director of Product Development at the Global Center for Medical Innovation, GCMI. They're based in Atlanta, and uh, you can check them out at devices, D-E-V-I-C-E-S dot net, N-E-T. And they're doing some really exciting things. Again, an accelerator, they're medical device experts. They, they know their stuff, folks. But Mike shares some pearls of wisdom on the topic of process excellence and how this leads to product excellence. So for those of you that are involved in bringing new products to market in any way, shape, or form, you're going to want to listen to some of the insights that are shared from Mike Fisher, the Director of Product Development at GCMI. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight, Guru John Spear. And I am super excited. I've had this particular session circled on my calendar for several days now, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And I, I hope you are as well. The topic we're going to get into, and, and I'll loosely title this the uh, this is something that's been suggested. Process excellence leads to product excellence. So uh, for all you medical device product developers out there, and for those of you that are aspiring to bring your product to market, you're going to want to listen to this one. With me, I have a, a guy that I really respect and enjoy talking to just about every time he and I have a chance. And I know he's busy and I'm busy, so so I cherish these moments. But um, with me, I have Mike Fisher. Mike is the director of product development at GCMI. GCMI is the Global Center for Medical Innovation, and they're in the Atlanta area. And uh, you know, Mike's he's got quite the track record. He's worked with uh, companies like CR Bar, Depew Spine, and, and many others. Very smart guy. Understands process. Understands product development. And and Mike, I'm I'm super excited to to have you join me uh, today on this podcast. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I get a lot out of your podcasts, and I, I hope that this is useful to someone. Oh, great. And I want to let everybody know uh, a little bit about GCMI, and I'm just going to grab some some information about that. But I know you can put a lot more depth and detail on that, too. So we want to make sure we talk about what GCMI is doing, because you guys are really on the, the cusp of something cusp of something super excited right now. And GCMI, the Global Center for, for Medical Innovation, is the Southeast's first and only comprehensive medical device innovation center dedicated to accelerating development, building businesses, and improving health. GCMI opened its doors in, in 2012 and has worked with over 50 startups, clinical innovators, university tech transfer offices, and academic researchers to design, engineer, prototype, and facilitate commercialization of a broad range of medical devices. Mike, you guys are doing some exciting things. I love this job. No two days are the same. Every product that comes across our, our platform is uh, unique and interesting, and it's the most important thing to the innovator who's championing that product. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and and I've talked with Tiff uh, Wilson uh, many times, and you several times, and I know you you guys have some some relatively new uh, things that have have been underway, some partnerships and some some strategic initiatives. Anything uh, you can share with the audience about some of those recent developments? 
Well, I know Tiffany is going to be writing up some press releases pretty soon, but we've started an accelerator, and there are a lot of accelerators out there, and this is my first time participating in an accelerator. And one of the goals of the accelerator is really to create better companies to compete in the medical device space. And having worked for some of the large competitors out there, they need good competition because the way that they're going to grow platforms is often by acquisition or licensing of innovative new technologies that can't be developed in-house. So they need good competitors out there. And we actually have a lot of active conversations with big players in the medical market space who I think innovators would be happy to know are encouraging innovators to be competitive with, with their current ventures. They want to see medicine improve. There are risk profiles that they can't internalize. So they really require entrepreneurs to get out there, take some of that risk and be successful so that they can learn from those successes, acquire and, and leverage those new technologies and, and those new ventures. Yeah, that's great. And the way that you and GCMI are, are helping companies in this accelerator, I'm sure, gets into this topic that you and I are going to chat about today. Process excellence leads to product excellence. Yeah. So are you ready to dive in and and, and really kind of get into the – you and I talked about this topic loosely the other day. And I'm like, hey, let's put pause on this, Mike. This is going to be a great podcast. And, and I, I know that you, you probably talk about and, and live this each and every day. So are you ready to, to share some of your, your favorite points about these various topics? Sure. Let's get on with it. All right. So I'm going to talk kind of – I think sometimes, especially listeners to this podcast and those who come to Guru blog and, and read our content, you probably hear a lot about things like design control and, and risk management and those sorts of things with respect to product development. And don't mishear me. Those things are very important. And when Mike and I uh, spoke uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, he reminded me sometimes companies lose sight of some of these other areas that support product development as well. And Loosely speaking, we're talking about regulatory, we're talking about competitive landscape, specification development, intellectual property, and manufacturing. So, Mike, give me some insights, give me some pearls of wisdom that uh, our audience needs to know with, within the context of process excellence as it relates to product development. Sure. So, I think compliance is one of those things that you have to have. Otherwise, you're dead in the water, but you don't know it until you get that first audit, and then you're dead in the water, and nobody's happy. And the goal also of compliance is to create an excellent product. So I think that if you elevate excellent product excellence to your top-tier goal and objective, I mean, that's ultimately what people want. They want to disrupt the marketplace with products or services that are needed and useful and are helping people. It's one of the great things about medical products. Our worst day is still a day where we're trying to help people live a better life. And that's a very noble goal, but there are some really crass economic, intellectual property, regulatory constraints that go along that, that drive a lot of our decisions. And I think that compliance really helps us to keep a, a goal on how to stay on the road and how to travel to the right destination. These other activities like you know, getting the right regulatory strategy, getting a good competitive landscape figured out, you know, figuring out what are the specifications that you really want to develop for your product, how do you establish your intellectual properties, and how do you get a manufacturing platform established? These are critical to product realization. And when I worked for some of the larger companies, what we realized is oftentimes we would have an innovator who had a great idea. And the phrase I, I heard a lot was, the deeper we dig, the less we find, the shorter this conversation. 
So as an innovator, you want to make sure that when people start digging into your product and the ideas behind your product, that they start finding substance of risk documents and real product specifications and qualifications of vendors or materials or some sort of feasibility assessment, not just a great idea that has a single prototype and, you know, now money. That's not the way it works anymore. You have to have a lot more detail. So I think a good rule of thumb for innovators is your product, your prototype, your idea should be the thing that leads the conversation because it is the critical aspect of what it is that you're doing. But right behind that needs to be a strategic portfolio of assessments that isn't necessarily aimed at regulatory compliance, but more aimed at product excellence. For example, intellectual properties. You don't have to have a patent to be a very competitive player in medicine. Mm -hmm. You'd better have a freedom to operate knowing that you aren't stepping on the toes of Stryker because Stryker will do something to defend its space. So when you launch your product, make sure that at least you have an intellectual property freedom to operate, that you understand that you're not practicing someone else's intellectual properties. I've had several clients come in with an issued patent and they say, well, I've got an issued patent, therefore I can sell this product. I'm like, well, that's, that's not actually the way it works. Getting an issued patent means that you have the unique ability to sell that particular product. But if, you, if your idea is just a subset of someone else's ideas, you're kind of in trouble because it means you've just created a better embodiment of someone else's current invention. And the only people who can sell it is that other person who owns the principal intellectual property. I'm not a patent yeah. attorney. Most people don't have patent attorneys on their team, so most people should probably get a patent attorney on their team. It's, it's one of the things that I think is part of process excellence is finding out the strengths and weaknesses of your team and augmenting that team with consultants, expertise, vendor expertise, and figuring out when do you need it, who do you need, how much is it going to cost, etc. Yeah, those are some great points. And as you were sharing some of those details, one of the things that I jotted down is the product excellence and point. And specifically, I think so many companies today, at least in my experience, they seem to be more focused on getting regulatory clearance, which getting regulatory clearance for something doesn't necessarily correlate to product excellence. I think they, they I get it, you know, you got to get through those regulatory hurdles, but just because you get through those regulatory hurdles doesn't mean that your product is going to be excellent. And and I like the other thing that you said about patents. I think there's an, a, a little bit of head trash uh, around that topic too, where a company says, oh, I need a patent, I need a patent, I need a patent, because therefore it gives me some sort of, uh, makes, means my product is excellent in some sort of way. And I, I think these are just conventional wisdoms that are wrong, frankly. So I appreciate some of those insights. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think that, so you know, my, my clients oftentimes tell me I go dark on them because I do have some <laughs> stories. And sometimes you do learn more through pathology than through you know normal physiology. So I... I inherited a project at a very well-respected company, a very large company that was really great in its market space. And we were five years into this project. And we sat down behind the glass windows and had a collection of users of the device sit there. And we handed out the device and they opened up the package and they all looked at it. And, and all of a sudden, this one guy goes, huh, it's really not that bad. And that was the best comment we got. Mm-hmm. I had a two 510Ks, I had manufacturing processes scaled up for 20 million products a year, and I sat there. And like I said, I inherited this product, but to get a comment 
from a key user that, gee, it's really not that bad. Yeah. That's not where you want to be. And it meant that we, we nailed our specifications. We were completely compliant. We hit all of the requirements, all the consensus standards. We had two 510Ks and really not that bad is where we ended up. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess it could have been worse, but at the same time, that's probably not the reaction you were looking for. No, it was very disappointing. So when I say things go dark, it's like, okay, we complied with everything, but just because you complied does not yeah. mean you have a great product. And yeah. I think a great product is what every entrepreneur and every company wants to sell, whether you're a big company or a small company, and, you know, when you miss the mark, that is a painful day. And that, I'm, I will never forget sitting back in my chair behind that, that plate of glass window with a mirror on it and looking at this guy and thinking, I think you just sunk my project. And I, I went back uh, yeah. to my man and said, what are we doing? If that's yeah. the best comment we can get, I mean, it, are we going to be that price competitive? Are we able to sell this thing that well that we can really sell really not that bad and market the heck out of it? So I think that when you're an entrepreneur, you should be looking at, well, what are my compliance activities? What are my consensus standards? How do I have to design this product to meet a regulatory goal? But that shouldn't be how low can I go? It should be how great can this thing be? What competitive advantage do I have? For example, when you do your market assessment, you look at your total market and then you look at niches within that total market. And if you can op occupy a 5% niche market within a $3 billion market, that's a great product. Sure. And it's a, sure. it's a target that the J&Js of the world probably aren't targeting because they're targeting the larger overall market. But as an entrepreneur, you can take that and you can really do something with it. And if you delight 5% of a $3 billion market and start getting natural adoption <laughs> into that space, yeah, my gosh, that's a, that's a very attractive life. For sure. And, and I want to go back to, you know, the, the experience that you had, uh, where you kind of, you said you got two 510Ks, you went through, uh, almost the entire product development process before you put this product in the hands of the end user to get the, the kind of the, the anticlimactic reaction of it's not that bad. Mike, is there something, you know, looking back on that particular experience, and I'm not trying to open any wounds here, but, but, and I apologize if I do, but is there, looking back on that, is there something that you could have done differently in that particular scenario to get that reaction sooner so that, you know, you could have pivoted on that particular uh, project? Absolutely. And so key opinion leaders in the marketplace and the design validation is something that you shouldn't wait until the tail end of a project. You should be doing design validation early, early on even at the concept level, even talking with you know, a very limited number of potential users, you're going to get some good candid input. What happened in this particular mark, uh, product was the marketplace had changed. You know, so we have a changing medical device marketplace between the, the Affordable Care Act and some of the new, newer things that are coming out, but you're also seeing a shift from operative surgical centers into the home care environment. That shift was happening while they were developing this product. And the key drivers of adoption were going from medical professionals to the final user. And all of a sudden, consumer characteristics started dominating adoption. The consumer of the product, the person who's actually using and applying the product on their own body was making the purchasing decision, not the expertly trained medical doctor. And the company I worked for had exquisite 
detail on what that medical doctor wanted, what was an appropriate risk, what did the hospital supply chain need, but they had missed what the final end user really wanted. Yeah. I'll never forget the guy said, it, when I open up your device, it sounds like I'm opening up a bag of Doritos. <laughs> and it drives my family crazy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, so the packaging sound is important. And the yeah. team kind of laughed and they were derisive of, of what he's just said. I'm like, wait a minute. This that is a dude deal. is not buying my product, not because it's not a good product, but because I miss something that he he resents the sound of my packaging. He resents the labeling on my packaging. He he resents the fact that it looks so so bland and so medical. Mm-hmm. He wanted something that looked more consumerish. And I think that that yeah. was a miss at multiple levels. So like I said, I worked for a great company and they did a great job in, in risk and all these other aspects. And they really made a new market or new product for a market that was going away. And I think that was the issue that really played out there. And, you know, this was a scaled up manufacturing process that we had huge capability and it was a big miss. And it's one of those things that it stings me to this day. And so, yeah, you did open up a wound, but I I brought it on the table to say, this is important to understand your market, understand where the market is going. And I think it's also encouraging for the entrepreneur or the person who wants to be disruptive to recognize oftentimes the large competitors have these blind spots. We should have seen that coming. And I think that was the other thing that happened. And my management was stinging pretty pretty deeply from this because they knew that was a strategic miss more than a technical miss. Yeah, the technical guys didn't get enough design validation early on, but strategically they had us aiming at a target that was fading off in the distance and the emerging target wasn't even on our radar. And so they've addressed that strategically, but by, by, you know, so that that company is doing fine. They're doing great. And their, their stock is, you know, spectacular, but that was one of those little, it was a little miss, but it's a, painful miss because, you know, it's part of your career and, and part of wasted time. You know, we, we ended up not commercializing that product. Yeah. And there are people in the manufacturing site that paid with their jobs. And, you know, we had a, a plant that went fallow and there, there, I think they were still repurposing that. So that, you know, it's wasted effort and we all have limited time on this planet. So, you know, make sure that you get the big bang for your buck. It's funny, as you said, big bang for your buck, Mike, uh, The uh, um, there's a bit of a thunderstorm happening. So the thunder boomed right as you said that. So uh, <laughs> Someone agrees with me. <laughs> Stokes, pay attention. Uh, we're talking to a powerful individual here, Mike. But I appreciate you being a little bit vulnerable with that story, too. And, and I've shared stories uh, in my past on this podcast and in other forums that you know, a lot of mistakes that uh, or uh, misses, I say, mistakes, misses, whatever the case may be, because, you know, it's important, folks, that you're going to have those. And and it's it's important to accept that, hey, things aren't going to go exactly the way you planned, but let's learn something about that. And and I want to share something from my past where I, I remember being a, a young uh, engineer working on it was an exciting project for me. It was, uh, I was working on an acute hemodialysis catheter and, you know, it's a interesting, that's an interesting product space, by the way, I'm sure you're probably somewhat familiar with that, but, um, um, very competitive, lots of players. And, and I was, I felt like I was onto something with, uh, uh, some of the design work that I was doing. And I still think we had some good things going, but, but uh, when we launched the device, it just it launched with a resounding thud, you know, and and I remember kind of beating myself up there for a bit about that because I'm like, you know, the engineering, the design work, the specification development, all very sound. 
trouble is, I, and I'm not sure that there was a big market for for the device. And and you know, I, you know, at first I wanted to point my finger and say it's those guys' fault, but you know, product development isn't um, isn't a singular um, functional area. It's it needs to be an enterprise wide type of org, uh, event and, and and process. And I think that's where sometimes companies make mistakes too, is they look at product development being engineering um, centric and and forget about it being more of a business. Yeah. And businesses are more about relationships than about technologies. And for a a techie guy like myself, I'm very tactical. You know, give me an objective, tell me which hill to take and I'll take that hill. And if it was the wrong hill, then we all took the wrong hill together. Mm -hmm. So don't point fingers, just say, you know, next time let's, let's choose a better target. But I feel like, yeah, I mean, you have to understand your market. And also, so one of the things that we're seeing at GCMI, we work with a lot of entrepreneurs and physician innovators is defining your market and then trying to line up your resources. And lining up resources is a very difficult thing. Going to QMED or MDDI and getting a list of vendors and contract manufacturers, suppliers and consultants, you know, that's tough and you got to choose the right people, but then you got to figure out how to pay for them and how to get your investment put in a good light. And I think one of the things, the reason I'm going down this pathway is it is getting harder to get that investment. I've made the argument that the medical product development process is getting more complex. FDA is asking for more data, and they're doing that because they've been burned in a bunch of respects, and, and so more is better. They're a science-based organization. They want to make decisions based on evidence, not based on hyperbole or, or you know, conjecture. I tell people faith-based regulatory science is just a thing of the past. You know, no one has faith anymore. They really want to see data. Well, that means you have more work streams that require more resources that are going to take you longer. And the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is in some cases getting smaller because we're we're watching our, our, our marketplace change and we're seeing some competitive pricing pressures really affect things. So it's taking longer. The pot of gold is smaller. The addressable market is in some cases more difficult to address, which means your time value money calculation is is saying, hey, it's going to cost you more and the returns are are lower and they're further out, which means only meaningful innovations are going to get funded. If you think you have a meaningful innovation, what you really need more than anything is a fantastic development strategy to communicate Mm -hmm. to I haven't just thought about the product and the process and the manufacturing and compliance and regulatory. I've thought about reimbursement. I've thought about supply chain. I've thought about strategic partnerships. And the strategic partnership aspect of things, I think, is very interesting because I'm watching this now with the accelerator. These big companies bring small companies to us and say, mature these folks to a point where we can have more meaningful conversations with them. And one of the things I'm sensitive to is your supply chain becomes really important. So if you are using third-tier raw material suppliers and small mom-and-pop shops to do manufacturing, it is very difficult for a Johnson & Johnson operations engineer to look at your design history file, to look at your supply chain, to look at your materials and say, yeah, we can put the weight of my organization on what you just built. So it's selection of down to who, what raw material are you using? Are you using a name brand ABS plastic or are you using the cheapest thing you could find? 
And there are times when the cheapest thing you could find gives you that competitive pricing advantage that your product needs. But there are other times when you can say, you know what, I've got an ultrasonically welded handle. I want to use a top tier material to make sure that if I'm talking with a large strategic partner, that material is familiar to them or the supply chain is familiar to them. And if they needed to ramp up manufacturing 10x, they know that that material supply is robust and will be available. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that you don't often think about early on in a project, but you, you should at least have a memo somewhere saying, I've considered this. And rather than ignoring it, I'm acknowledging I'm making this decision for these reasons. Yeah. And it, yeah, a lot of great nuggets in there, folks. And I, and I think some of here, let me kind of summarize a couple concepts that I want people to, to kind of wrap their heads around. Uh, first concept, always increase value. And realize that we talk about this, uh, you, know, you use this, this phrase uh, in a number of different ways here at Greenlight.guru, but, but uh, this is not, an, product development and, uh, is not an event, it's a, it's a process, you know, it's not like you're just going to catch lightning in a bottle and all of a sudden say, here we are. You have to be methodical about it. But at every step along the way, figure out what your key phases are, you know, um, define your process identify all the phases or stages or whatever word you want to use to describe these major chunks of time or, or major uh, areas of focus for those uh, uh, phases of your process. But identify what the value is at each one of those phases. And and that's key. And I think a lot of times people, they get focused on that, as we talked about a moment ago, that regulatory clearance, and they get focused on trying to figure out how to, to, to find the, the least expensive, quickest, fastest, you know, what appears to be the quickest, fastest way to manufacture. They uh, identify a few suppliers early on, and then that's the, the, they just go down that path, and then they, they, they're just trying to check boxes. They don't, they don't understand this value concept. Would you agree with that, Mike? I would. And I, I would say there's a very popular TED talk about why. If you understand why you're doing what you're doing, then you're going to be a much smarter person in executing on that, that task. If you're checking boxes because you have to have objective evidence that you've created risk documents, you've already missed the intent of the risk document. Yep. You know, I, I, I watch people with a finished mold and a manufactured part, and they've got some feasibility data, and then they're going to go off in verification validation, and they're going to have their regulatory officer or their consultant write up the risk documents to comply mm-hmm. with product that they have in front of them, which means you've completely foregone what, what the risk documents are supposed to do in uncovering hidden flaws or design features or issues. And then I have seen really good engineers come up to the end of a project and, and kind of slap themselves in the forehead. First clinical case, they see something that a woulda, coulda, shoulda, it's a miss. Yeah. And there's a yeah. feature that was missing or a safety element that could have been there. And had they been more diligent in that risk identification process, they would be in better shape. And, and, you know, you hate to see that because very few people have a desire to launch a bad product or to have a product with a critical flaw. And the risk documents are really there to help you uncover that. So, you know, like you said, if you're checking boxes, I think you're missing the point of the process. If yeah. you are engaged in the process and your goal is to be really good at it and really quick at it, now you're making everyone happy. And your VP of R&D will be less frustrated that you've got you know, a 60-page FMEA report uh, on potential failure modes. Yeah. But if you did that report very quickly early on in the product development process, and you can say, here are the flags that we put up there, and here's how we're knocking those red flags down for elements or design features that we think have, have these certain failure modes, 
all right, now you're being smart and you're doing the right things the right way in the right order. Folks, listen to this man. He's he's speaking uh, so so many. He's giving you so many many insights and so many nuggets of information. And and I would encourage you, especially if you're you're in product development in any way, shape, or form, this might be one of those podcasts that you flag and listen to from time to time. Mike, we're at a point in time where where let's give everybody kind of a, I guess Mike's number one tip if there's such a thing when it comes to process excellence. Uh, leading to product excellence. Do you have a number one or maybe a top three or something like that that we can wrap up our discussion today? Yeah, I, I think ultimately you need to know your product and your market better than anyone else. And uh-huh. secondarily, you need to develop a fantastic team. And if you can't have it internal, then have it as consultants and you know folks who are guilt by association. Find people who can support you and have your best interest in mind because no one's going to do it alone no matter how smart you are or how experienced you are, a really good team makes all the difference in the world and avoids a lot of problems. Yeah, that's that's great insight. So, Mike, thank you for being the guest on the Global Medical Device Podcast today. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Fisher, Director of Product Development at Global Center for Medical Innovation. And for those of you that um, have some questions or comments or want to learn a little bit more about process excellence, and, and how this can help you lead to product excellence. Mike is certainly a guy that uh, you can connect with. Michael Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R, and GCMI's website, devices.net, Global Center for Medical Innovation. And remember, Global Center for Medical Innovation is part of an, an accelerator, folks. They, this is, they understand medical device product development. They understand challenges with prototyping and manufacturing and, and getting through those regulatory hurdles, so much so that they've they've built an organization around this to help truly accelerate your product development efforts and, and get you on the path to product excellence. So uh, check out what GCMI is doing. Go to devices.net. Uh, one other thing that you should be aware of, uh, I'm sure if, if you're not already, you you need to go check out what we're doing at Greenlight.Guru. We've built a software platform that is a, a big piece in helping companies drive towards that product excellence. You know, we've got workflows that streamline uh, the design control and risk management process, uh, in addition to helping you manage and maintain your documents and records and your quality system, but do so in a way that allows true collaboration amongst your product development team. So, if you're interested in that as well, please go to the greenlight.guru website. It's simply www.greenlight.guru, and you can request more information, and we'd be happy to talk about what it is that we do. So, Mike, again, thank you. John, thanks a lot for the invite. I hope that this podcast is useful to someone. Absolutely. And, folks, we'll uh, talk to you again soon. And this has been John Spear, the founder, VP of Quality and Regulatory, and your host for the Global Medical Device Podcast.